Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. I'm your host, as always, Mike Murray. Today, I'm super excited to have my friend Abby Lou join us. Abby, tell us where you're joining us from today. Hi, everybody. Thanks, Mike, for the opportunity. And I'm a big fan of your show. And, you know, it's it's a fun and it's, it's knowledgeable. It's educational. So um, always follow. So it's an honor to be on the show. Um, my name is Abby Liu. My pronouns are he, uh, she and her. And um, I am coming from my home uh, in San Jose, California. Uh, so excited to be here. Abby, one of the first times we ever met was on a pool deck. And I remember thinking as I walked past you, boy, that's one hell of a good coach. And man, she's got a great sneaker game. <laughs> Those of us who know you and have watched your athletes progress over the years, whether it's been the success that they've had at the national level at Olympic trials, you've had some really tremendous athletes over the years. You have a passion for sneakers. And Again, those of us who have come to know you over the years have really appreciated watching your shoe game progress. It's become <laughs> a, a collectible for you. Um, and I talked to you before the episode about maybe sharing some of what you have uh, with our viewers just to keep it fun. Because as coaches, we all have such unique personalities and they contribute to the success of our teams. And people who know you have always appreciated that about you. And I know you selected a couple from the vault, the yes. Avilu vault. Yes, uh, <laughs> my shoe vault. <laughs> did, how did, did you have to convince your wife to put that in the closet? Was that an easy conversation or she knew well enough that, boy, I, I got to make sure that Abby's got room for her collection. So for the record, it's not a closet and it's actually a full bedroom. And we converted entire thing to um, my just my happy place. And for me, I pick my shoes before my outfit each day. I walk in, I look at the wall of the shoes and decide what mood am I in, you know, where I'm going. And and so the shoe game, it's it's to me, it's a fascinating. It's just like coaching. It's a piece of art. It's a creation. It's collaboration with talents. And so it's just like coaching, right? And I believe that coaching is, is art. Um, you know, how do you get people to buy in your process, your idea, your work, and, and continue to do so? In, in, in addition, as coaches, we don't just coach one mode fits all, that model. We have to learn of what the difference is, what, the, what, each, what each athlete, what, what get them going, what's their niche, right? And so what's the keyword? Um, and so we always have to learn and evolve along with the sports. So um, the sneaker game is the same. You know, to show you one pair I recently got. Um, here we go. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> um, so this pair right here, and it's called um, it's it's a Nike Dunk. Okay, um, it's it's called Street Hawker, and it's so cultured with my heritage, and it's based on the Chinese cuisines. And so, for example, right here. It's um, representing Peking duck, right? So that's, that's the crispy golden skin, right? And right here, the hook is the hook that you typically see that hooks the duck on it, the silver hook, okay? Um, in the back, it says food in Chinese. So there's a Chinese say that food is our sky, food is our God. So, um, you know, it, the food culture in Chinese culture is huge. Everything is 
revolved involved around the dinner table, right? And, and business deals and family reunions, and it's all about food, what you eat and what you put on the table. So, and um, right here as a it's, a, it's a money sign. And this is how much it used to cost to buy a bowl of a noodle in Shanghai. So this represents the noodle. And, and this is the Xi'an, um, Xi'an uh, like it's, it's a yummy bread soaked in the soup. So there's all different materials going, right? I believe that this is, believe uh, oil, and this is onions, the color. So all that, like, again, you look at one pair of shoes, how much detail that goes into, and the art, the creation, that's totally relatable to what we do every day with our athletes in our sport. And furthermore, you step down, on, step on the pool deck, and kids look up to you, what's the first thing they see? So <laughs> true. Right? So, you know, I, I, I find myself getting on the pool deck and make a shoe contact before eye contact to coaches and to people. <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, no, it, it says a lot about who you are and um, it shows a lot of your characters. That's why I, I love it. it. I love it. And I know you have uh, another pair of Jordans that you were going to talk about with us. Um, Absolutely. The UNC Jordans. Tell us about that pair. So this is a UNC Jordan 1. I actually wore this pair. Um, obviously, U uh, University of North Carolina is Jordan's school. Um, so any UNC colorways are just so hot. And, you know, we call it fire kicks. Um, they, one of my athletes who's heading into UNC in the fall, and uh, she originally qualified for Olympic trials back in 2019, and we all know got postponed it to uh, 2021. And so, and then it split it into wave one and wave two. So she had a wave one in a hundred breaststroke. Uh, she went to 110.97. And we were like, yes, 0.02, we got it, right? We're good. And then it split it. And then now, you know, the wave two cut is 109.55. And she was like, Coach Abby, wave one is during my graduation. I'm not going, but I'm going to qualify for wave two. In my mind, as a coach, I know I should have never doubted, but I thought, how, how the hell are we going to do this? We're in the middle of a pandemic. And for three months, she could, we, we have no access to the pool. And when we returned to the pool back in middle of June, it was 40% of our so-called normal capacity. To this day, we're still doing about 70, 80%. We're still not 100% yet. But what's really, really inspiring was during those three months, she puts a wetsuit on, go to Santa Cruz, 30 minutes down from here, get in the ocean, swim three times a week, go, go surfing, paddling, just working on her arms. Her father built a full gym in a backyard for her to work out. So in a situation like that, it was just really test your commitment, your determination. You know, what eyes on the price, never ever take it off, regardless what circumstances, what curved balls thrown at you. Um, so we went to the uh, Irvine 18 and under uh, championships uh, just uh, a month ago. She went a 10-1 in the morning, 110-18 in the morning. We're like, that's time, right? Mind you, we have not had single long course uh, practice, right? That before that day, she goes, Coach Abby, I have a request. Is there, what is it? You need to wear the UNC one. It's my school, right? I said, okay, I'll wear that. So 
after morning, she came out. She's like, I, 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 I know I can get it. It's, it's close. It's all because of shoes. It's all, you got to make sure you wear that for finals. Right? It's all shoes. So superstitious here, right? And as, 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 as a uh, former athlete, as well as coach, I am too. Like, like, what kind of shoes do I wear? You know, what sunglasses do I put on? Watch which hand. I'm sure you all can relate, right? <laughs> and, you know, and this is my lucky stopwatch, right? Um, and so uh, she went finals and she went in 109.52. How it just about me, that? It gave me goosebumps. So I'm like, it's it's this. It. She's like, she came out, we were hugging. She's like, it's all there because of shoes. Now, that's all because of her, her determination, her just relentless pursuit, right? Her goal, her goals never change. And not just because of pandemic, not just because she's swimming in the ocean, no, no pool access. She was able to do that. That inspired me. And that I work with that every day. That makes me a better coach and better person. I learn from them every day. That, that story gave me goosebumps here. Right? Um, I mean, for two reasons, right? The first one is you're connecting with your athletes on a level that's so unique to you. And the shoes are a big part of that. Totally. Um, and like you said, the, the first thing that your athletes see are your shoes. And, I, I, and this story is just so empowering and just so awesome. I, I know that you cultivate these relationships with your athletes over time, but what are some of the things, Abby, that you do when you first start working with your swimmers to, to build these relationships? It's really interesting you ask because I struggled um, when I, in the beginning of my coaching career, which was way too long ago. Um, I came from China. And so my culture background is completely different than what the, the US culture is. And so um, I show up on the pool deck and everybody's already saying, good job. And I'm like, what did you do to do to say good job? What do you like? What do you mean, right? Like just just because you show up and you got a participation trophy, what you know? It was a total total um, eye opening for me, and and but working with these kids and throughout, and especially in the community that I'm in, I'm in um, Northern California in the Bay Area, so um, the very very heavily populated Chinese, Chinese and Asian population here, and in a way it's very relatable for me, but in many ways, it's also not. These are um, Asian Americans, right? And, um, but I feel that I had a superpower. I, I'm very fortunate to almost live with two lives because I live my life in China and I'm super proud of my heritage where I'm coming from, but also I was able to learn and adapt and take advantage of it with what I've learned here and the people I met. For example, that we have many um, first generation um, families, the parents are first-generation immigrants, and the kids are second-generation. So not only there's um, generational clash, as we see, you know, pretty much, you know, the teenagers with the parents that, uh, that, that, that clash, but also there's a huge culture clash, and the parents are still, you know, they grew up in China, and versus the kids grow up here. Um, to share a story, um, and not stories, to share a story, uh, we had a swimmer on the team, and he, he was like about sectional levels, and, but he's a super, super positive teammate and he's always there and you know, always happy and cheering for other people. And, and he's, he's, he was a good swimmer, but not like you know, your, your elite, elite level swimmer. So one, one time we were going to a trip, uh, a travel meet 
and he really wanted to go. And the moms emailed me and said, he's better in piano and he needs to stay school. And so instead of going on a trip, I'm not allowing him to go. When I read that email, I was so angry in a way. I just typed up the email and then I decided not to send it because that's gonna go wrong. And when people read emails and they can't really read your emotions. So instead I saved that email draft and I told her, I said, tomorrow morning, when you come to morning practice, can we sit down and have 10 minutes chat? She said, sure. So she came in and then looked at her. I said, I know you're, support, you're, su you're supportive of him, but you don't believe in him. And furthermore, I suggest you sit here and watch practice for just one session. And you count how many times he actually smiled. And you're paying $7.98 $7 per session for therapy session versus the kids going $500 an hour. And look how happy he is here. Um, and so she, she said, you're right. Okay, can you send me that email? The email I typed up the night before. So I sent her email uh, and an hour later, she uh, responded, she said, you are absolutely right. But I also see that you believe in him. So she let him go, go on the trip and he had the best trip, right? And so he, he's now, he graduated from Princeton and great, great student, great person, but I'm sure he'll always remember that trip in his memory. So I think for me to have that um, Chinese, growing up in China, being able to relate and talking to the parents it's almost like my superpower. In a way, also the kids feel that they close, they're close to me and I provide a safe space for them and I believe in them and supporting them. Um, I, to me, it's, 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 I'm in a really good spot to help people and then be the bridge of communication of, of, for, the, for the families. I'm so glad you told that story because I've stood next to you at some of these meets. And I remember one time we were at Santa Clara mm -hmm. and you were giving your athlete feedback after a particularly good race. And I could just tell that they were getting a lot of self-confidence based on the interactions with you. That, that's how I came to have a lot of respect for you, that, that single moment in time. But you mentioned growing up in China, you left your family at a very young age to train in Beijing with the national team. You were a part of that process for a long time. You competed in some world championships. Our discussion today is really about similarities between age groupers and senior swimmers. So what did your experience in China teach you about the developmental process that you use today in your coaching philosophy? Absolutely, that's, I think that's the root of everything I do. Um, my belief system in establishing early on a technique, a, a solid technique for all, all, all ages, as well as all strokes. Um, you know, I, I see, I see a lot of it is my early on, my coach always say, my, my developmental coach always tell us, although it's not true anymore, but she, he said, the Asians are typically smaller, physically smaller than the Westerners. And so if in order to be able to compete with the Westerners, you need to make sure you, you are better in techniques. And so everything is very detail oriented, including um, you know, which finger gets out first or, you know, how, how many, uh, like, what's the angle of facing it? I remember my coach was very revolutionary. Um, I swam in the uh, four lanes, 25 meters, green water indoor pool, green water. And 
and he would be looking at, oh, the cover looks weird. He grabs like powder, chlorine powder, just go, just flying. Meanwhile, we're in the middle of swimming, right? Because the water is too green today. Not, you know, <laughs> um, but I had just for my lane, that one lane, I had a mirrors that hanging down from the ceiling. And so I was able that, I, I swear, that's why like I became a backstroker. I was able to watch myself swim every single lap. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's harder for us to establish in outdoor pools. I know we have the finished mirrors and on the bottom of the pool where you can see, but what about backstrokers, right? And, and so that was like the mirror got rusty really fast, but because, because the indoor pool, because of film, um, but still like with that, it was just revolutionary, right? Now, I like even, even in the US, now we try to do it. I mean, it's just, really hard in terms of just the structure and in condition, you know, where we are. Um, but so that was instilled in me really, really early on, like paying attention to details, get it right, right, always. And, and just every day is a technique day to me. Was that taught to you guys, Abby, is in terms of doing a lot of repetitions on 25s or 50s? Were you just doing that same thing over and over again until you reached what your coach considered was mastery for that level? I remember I was, I was only maybe 12, 12 or 13, because I went to Beijing um, at a national team training uh, when I was 14. But prior to that, um, I would do like three 800s backstroke just working on my hands, just looking, looking, at, your, looking at your hands. I, and again, here's a, me and my mirrors, right? I'm watching my, my, my hands for three 800s. <laughs> it seems like forever, but, but it wasn't really about intensity, but all about accuracy. And so to me, I have that. And then so when I coach the kids nowadays, um, whether age group or senior level swimming, I always look at what's causing them doing certain things. Like for example, you know, if somebody could cross over, instead of tell them, tell them not crossing over, I'll probably approach them from, hey, rotate a little bit more, get your elbows up higher. And so that you're entering more in line with your shoulders. So instead of looking at the outcome, try to fix the outcome, uh, you gotta go trace back a little bit and look at what's causing that. So to me, it, it, that's fascinating. And it's, just, it's very rewarding when somebody finally gets it, right? You teach, you don't teach what, you teach how. Are you looking at technique from some of your athletes and deciding, listen, that might look a little different than what I teach, but it's working for this summer. How right. do you approach situations like that? So many of us see something and I have to stop myself sometimes. I see something and I, I think to myself, that doesn't really look right, but they're traveling really quickly with it. And I'm not sure if I, if I made a change here, I don't think it might help. You know, Absolutely. so I, I yeah. try to look through that lens every once in a while. Is that something that you that you do too? Do you approach it teaching? Yes, absolutely. That way? I think you look at their body type first, right? Say somebody has really tight shoulders and but their their recovery may not be straight line, their recovery coming around a little bit, right? But they're able to holding holding it really strong because their core is really strong. So why are you beating that just telling them to do this and totally making them uncomfortable? And, and, and disconnect because their shoulders so tight, they're unable to do that. Um, and so you have to teach and coach 
within and their their capacity, right? Now, of course, you can explore different corners. Hey, you know, maybe maybe getting your body moving a little bit more and allows you to have a long, longer and bigger range of motion access to the power, but you have to coach differently. You can't like if somebody's ankles really, really tight and, and you're gonna say, say you may be very good in breaststroke and may not be good in butterfly, not able to kick, right? Um, and so I think you have to evaluate, especially as um, the kids are getting um, older. And so the, the modification need to change, right? Depends on their body setting, setting into a certain type and certain style, then what they good, their specialty start coming out and you have to work within. One of the things that I've you know, long admired about some of those sports schools in countries like China, they're very precise and yes. they measure everything. Have you used any of those in, in working with your athletes, whether you're, you're seeing them progress or get more flexible? I know that flexibility is critical in that the Chinese sports system. You're, you're taught that from a very young age. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, I, I, I still believe that flexibility is a key for everyone in every level, uh, whether your age group or senior level or elite level. Um, some, it's one of the characters that you, you see in a, the top swimmers and athletes, what that's their flexibility and in and, and most of it, you know. Um, when I was little, every day, first 10 minutes, when coaches uh, letting us know that the program or the workout that day, we'll be sitting on our ankles, pointing feet. So you're getting that ankle flexibility, everything stretch out, right? For about five minutes. And then you get up and you do a lot of dynamic stretches. And also you get on the wall and you press and getting your shoulders open up and your chest open up. Um, it amazes me when I first came here, little six, seven year olds, they can't bend down, touch their toes. And so my joke with them is like, let's do this together, right? I'm 300 years old. I can touch my toes. You can do it too, right? So I'm like, whoa, you're really 300 years old? But again, that's another way of engaging and, and, and communicate with athletes. And obviously, um, as their cognitive levels development, you know, capacity development, you're going to start talking differently, right? And so you're talking to the kids in a, the way that they can understand, and you're talking to the older ones in the high schools, they start taking biology, they start taking anatomy, you can talk in a much, much um, high level uh, anatomical way or scientific way for them to understand, right? So yes, so flexibility to me is number one thing. And I think that age groupers in the US can benefit a lot and that can continue, right? Carry on. It became a it should have become in a lifestyle rather than something that my coach makes me do. I still get up in the morning. First thing I go stretch my shoulders, stretch my legs, stretch my back. I'm getting old, right? And it little, little, takes a little longer to get out of bed, but that's how I start my day, right? Um, so I think it's super, super important that in terms of having that flexibility early on, having the access to range of motion, having the access to mobility um, and power. And so that, that, I think that can change a lot of people. Um, one of my best swimmers um, in the past, uh, he did hip hop dancing when he was young. So his mobility throughout his spinal colon is insanely uh, accurate. And guess what? He's a butterflyer, right? <laughs> and so, um, and he's 45, six and hundred yards fly. And um, as, as a 17 year old, right? So I thought, you know, something, there's similarity, right? The control, the hip hop dancing, you have control, you have flexibility, you also have a lot of power and coordination, 
rhythm. Butterfly is all about rhythm. So, you know, if anybody, uh, everybody have, have a chance to do some dancing stuff, um, I think it's really, really good. I really appreciate a couple things that you said in there. The first thing is as your athletes progress and develop and get older, you're connecting with them on a higher cognitive level along their path, which is so important for all coaches. And then you talked about that core power mobility piece, which is critical. So what are some of the things that Abby Lou is doing with her athletes to reinforce some of those things or to develop that power and strength? For sure. Um, we do dynamic warm-ups every day before we get in, especially during COVID time now, everybody has limited the pool access and time. So why not get their body warmed up first? So everybody knows the routine and that's also their time to connect with each other. They chat a little bit because we're all so busy. Get in, swim and get out and bite, right? Um, that's a time for them to do their dynamic warm-ups. Everybody knows the routine and we do it together and different people call out different exercises. And so develop that leadership, develop that unity, right? Everybody's working together in this. Um, that also give me a chance to check in how they are each day. Um, and that's part of it. And Fridays, we typically do our team kind of like a social day. We either do team yoga together and I love yoga with Adrian. And so even though I'm not a yogi, but you know, there are plenty, plenty great videos on YouTube. And again, kids nowadays, they're on YouTube every day. So that's something that they're familiar anyways, right? So I pull up and I put the speaker on and we do yoga together, right? Or some Fridays we would uh, sit down, have a chat about social media. What do you post on the social media? When to avoid social media? And I think it's an important piece for kids to be aware. Um, it's, it's a great tool um, a lot of times, but it's also great destruction um, to many. So um, we talk stuff like that and also, for example, and we would have one teammate talk about how he or she prepare for major meet, share their experience and their process. Now, maybe that's something that others can learn from, or maybe we, we, can, we can all learn from each other. So, um, and I even share some of my old stuff, some of outdated, you know, some are not, but um, I believe, you know, again, in this whole process, we are learning and from each other and we're growing together. So those are a lot of things that we do as a team um, in terms of, you know, incorporate the important key elements of the training of the sport and meanwhile, and engage that team activity. One thing, Abby, that I'm interested in learning from you is what was the volume like as an age group or a senior level and then national level summer in China compared to what you are working with here with your athletes how much are they training? How many days a week? What is, what is your typical week look like uh, compared to what you did growing up? Yes, um, it's really interesting. It's very different too. And I take it differently too. Um, when I was on the national team, uh, we do 13 workouts a week. And so uh, doubles every day, except Sunday. Sunday, you still go in and do a loosen up yourself. Um, was that necessary? I don't know, I can't speak because, um, you know, unless I, I, at the same time, I experienced two completely different systems, then I will be able to tell the comparison and results. But to me, um, living with my coaches, my teammates during my teenager years with zero parental control, um, that was, those were fun years, right? Because um, we lived away and, and 350 days a year, we lived on the uh, training camp. 
and then 15 days a year we get to visit our families. Um, so though my coaches, my teammates, they were my families, right? Um, 13 workouts a week, um, burnt out really, really fast. And every meet we go, we were told you swim for the country, right? You got the flag on your back. It's a lot of pressure. Um, we have no other outlets um, to me, you know, because everybody you interact with you, they're all athletes and they're still, they're going through the same thing. There's no um, something different, right? Like I, I would say called breath of fresh air. Um, for example, like kids here, you know, they go to school, they have a group of school friends and, and then they come to training and they have families interact. So they have very um, well ba balanced the social setting for them. And that keeps them mentally more balanced and healthier, I believe, right? Versus your, your 24 seven for 350 days a year, that's one thing you do. And everything, everything and everybody around you is all about that one thing. So the intensity is like, it's, you get short-term gain, definitely for sure, right? And, but in long-term, I think to elongate that, that career and that, that, that sports life, life span, um, it really does, didn't help. And the burnout rate is rather high. So I really appreciate that the environments that kids in the US, what they have um, and being able to just, hey, I'm going to the beach today and go for it, you know? And and because, you know, I mean, we have 80 degrees today and beautiful beach down there and, you know, go do that, right? But at the same time, I believe that if you're in a controlled environment, it, less accidents can happen. For example, now this week, we're heading into the first wave one of Olympic trials, right? I feel like everybody needs to be like, just in a bubbles, not do anything. No, don't go out, like go skateboarding. You know, you gotta twist your ankles, right? Not even bike ride, who knows? Somebody might chip you. I don't know, right? So, but like in a controlled environment um, in, in a situations like this, um, you can be more focused in a way. So I think it need, need to be a good balance. And I think, um, you know, that the athletes here are doing a good job, right? Hey, you know, this is my, you know, last this, I'm not going to go do biking anymore, right? Or um, I'm just going to delete my social media accounts for the time being. So no distraction, this is all I'm focusing on. So uh, it, it, it's a good balance. How much time is Abby Lou spending with her athletes on underwater kicking? Every day, every day. Um, we start, I mean, and my athletes will tell you, we, we do about average 800 to 1,000 of uh, the kicking and dolphin kicking and fins and underwater to begin with. That's our preset every day. And, I, and that's, if that's a fifth stroke and you got to pay attention to it and do it, right? The only way is you got to train that. Um, and the way I, I uh, present to my athletes is in 100 yards, you spend more than 60% underwater if you decide to spend underwater right? Um, meters may be different, but in the yards. So why not be spending more time and energy in that 60% of your race? I love it. I love it. <laughs> and I, I would love to see one of those sets and maybe I can get you to send me one of those so we can Absolutely. try that. It's a fun set too. And a lot of times we can engage partner work too, underwater, um, you know, and, and we do um, let's say one person pushes off and another, another person grab their feet underwater, just kick and push. And then you both get up and sprint the rest of the way and then switch off. Um, and we do a lot, a lot of partner stuff and which you, 
um, makes workout more fun, right? When you work out with somebody together, not just next thing and pacing you, but when you're actually working as a team together, you have a common goals. The things, you know, no matter how hard the things are, it makes it less painful. It makes more bearable, right? So this is a fun factor. I believe that the senior level swimmers start kind of missing out, right? When, when, when they start doing age group swimming, um, everything's about fun, right? Fun day, Friday, Friday, fun day, right? It's all relays or ice cream, social Friday, right? We're along the way, somehow it got lost. And, and, and I think if you bring it back, um, you know, it's it, workouts hard. There's no magic set that makes certain person better. It's that relationship and emotional connections you establish with your athletes and athletes with each other. So if you incorporate some of the fun stuff, not every day, but like some, some, some things that for them to look forward to. Um, and I, I can share some of the videos with you, um, the, the partner stuff we, we do, um, kids actually really love it. For example, you talk about underwater. Um, we do this set and one swimmer is underwater with fins underwater, holding a, a like eight pound med ball, five to eight pound med ball straight up. So now you're working on the shoulder flexibility and strength and underwater. So you go long course, this person goes five lines of a short course line and another person's right on top of him or her doing same dolphin kick. Switch out, give the med ball, switch, right? Switch the med ball and you just do an entire 50. I bet you're so tired after that. Yes, you can try it. Um, you know, feel free to have your athletes try it. But again, it's so tiring, but you're working with the people, right? And you're doing something different. So like when you're... When you're playing, you don't really feel you're working out, right? Like if we're we're just out there running with a friend and chatting and talking about life and sneakers, you know that you don't feel like you're running, work working out hard. But if you're just by yourself and running, that's boring, right? So how do you incorporate that fun, that the social interaction into practice? I believe that's a challenge for senior level swimming, but it can be done. Abby, is there a set that you do that your whole team knows about that maybe the kids start learning as age groupers and then it progresses as they get up to their senior level swimming? Everybody knows that in our program, you need to do well in two things. It's 500 free and 400 IM. And I think a lot of people agree with me, right? <laughs> right? Um, to me, um, 400 IM is most brutal event. Um, it tests Number one, your technicality across the board. And you're not just good in one thing. And it's just your base. You have to be good in all four things. And secondly is your mindset, your strength in your head. Um, it's so tough. And I was a 400 IM myself. And every time I get to brushstroke, I just clearly remember to this day, my fingers curled up. I couldn't stretch it out. It's that tiring, right? But yeah, you still fight through it. Um, and also your your endurance base, as well as your speed base. So it's kind of, it, it's a collective of everything that we try to establish. Now, if they can do 400 IM well, I believe that they're 500 free. It has that aerobic base um, to go whichever direction they want to go, uh, whether going up into the 800 or mile versus or 200 down, um, they have that flexibility. As coaches, we're opening doors. We try to exploring and making sure we're opening as many doors as possible, right? Um, especially for boys, uh, teenager boys, they're, they're still going through puberty. Like when they hit like senior year in, in college, 
So their body still changing all the time. The, the, the body composition changes, then their center of gravity changes, center of volume changes. So when that when they go through that change, they should have option of doing different things or being able to adjust it and allowing them to do different things. So um, for me, those two events are most important um, in, in, in all aspect of entire club swimming, at least. Um, so my kids will know five, 400 IM test set. They know that, okay? And a thousand freestyle test set. And they, we have a test lock, test set lock, we start Google doc. So they all log in each day. I mean, every time we do the test set, so we, we, we can graph it. And they, they learn to take ownership of this whole thing. I um, love that idea. Yeah, because share Google Doc, right? Everything's shareable, right? Nowadays, wow. why not using the technology, right? So then I tell them, hey, go in and graph it and you take a look because 95% of us are visual learners. When you see that graph going like this, okay, well, I'm getting slower or hey, you know, um, I think, and the kids are so smart, right? They're, they're so smart, the numbers talk, right? So to them, they see that, okay, what do I need to do next? And so, so those two sets are must, must have. <laughs> Boy, I, I mean, you're speaking my language. Um, awesome. And, and I. And I know you're, you're, you're 400 I am her. Oh my God. She's so fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, I, I have really struggled, you know, doing that data collection for years and I love having it. But when I heard you say that, I'm like, my God, her athletes are engaging the work that they're doing and that they're seeing they're being required almost in a way to be accountable Absolutely. for their effort by logging into that google for their own swimming for their own swimming right i, I really like that I we really do a lot like of stuff sharing too we we have we use an app, app and share um with within um within a group um, sometimes, you know, workouts and serious stuff. Sometimes I see a good article I share with them, vice versa, they will share with me. And sometimes, you know, like, hey, what, what, what sneakers did you get this weekend? You know, we'll post pictures, right? Um, so I think that's the way to interact. And then to me, it's, it's all developing the relationship. And, and when you have that relationship, and you trust each other and you respect each other and you'll do things that, you know, typically you don't feel comfortable doing, you know, physically or mentally or emotionally. And um, it, that's, I think that's the secret, right? Of a, a, a good training group or good program is, is, is not what, like what sets you're doing or there's a magic set, this and that. It's about how you establish that relationship with each other. When I hear you talk, I, I think about you and who you are and, and what your story is. And you just have an incredible awareness of the patience it takes for somebody to develop. When you came to this country, you could barely speak English. You had this self-teach. Zero. zero. You, could, you could speak zero. You, you, you self-taught so many things. So you have a unique understanding of, of what kind of patience it takes to develop, to develop any kind of skill. And I think that's one of the reasons why you're so great at connecting with your athletes. Talk to me a little bit about how you taper, how you rest, and the mental component that goes with that? That's a great question. And I think it's such a mystery in, in our sport, right? How do you taper and, and how do you taper differently? Um, goes back to um, my swimmer who went on uh, 109.52. She had a three days rest because 
she's like, are we tapering? And I said, typically she takes about two weeks and it's always a gradual taper. We, we, we don't do drop taper much. We do gradual taper, started with 80% and then 60% and eventually 50, 40%. But during, during the taper time, um, there's a lot of quick reaction time um, activation, uh, do a lot of detail work, like short, short, like 15 meters, uh, starting at 15 meters in and out the wall work. Um, really, the intensity goes up and distance goes down as well as the repetition goes down. So, um, so about by the time when they hit hit the racing day, it's about forty percent of their regular capacity. Um, but with this athlete, and she said, you know, are we tapering? I said, tapering from what? We're only doing sixty percent of our capacity. All you need is don't come to the morning practice. I still want you to do the workout. Uh, find a pool in the afternoon, but I want you to get better sleep. So I think the sleep component is really, really big in um, during during the taper period. Um, typically, I will ask them. I said I will ask them, "Did you wake up this morning by your mom, by your alarm, or by yourself?" Right? Um, and I say, "Like by myself." I said, "Good. Your body's rested." Right? So so when you naturally wake up, but not you know by a knock on the door or your alarm, um, you're still needed probably a little bit more. Um, so to me, it's a, it's a gradual taper, and to me, it's more tapering emotionally rather than physically. Um, athletes still need to stay connected, so that's why the intensity, the quick, the fast stuff, the power stuff, still 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 need to be incorporated each day. And each athlete's different, based on the muscle mass, right? The bigger ones, the, the, the ones with more muscle mass, obviously they need to taper a little bit more, and the ones with less, uh, they probably take shorter. But at the same time, um, breaststroker taper is pain. <laughs> I think a lot of people can agree with me. Breaststrokers will say, I'm feeling my balance is off. I'm feeling my legs heavy. I'm feeling my arms heavy. So th this whole process, I believe, is, needs a lot more communication and feedback and reassuring. And that's, that's the coach's job is like, you're doing great. Remember this one time, you didn't even have this much of taper. You did this amazing thing. Oh yeah, yeah. So you keep reminding them and reassuring them. I think that for coaches can do it during during that two three weeks period is 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 crucial. Oh, so critical. And when I was an athlete, I had I needed that. So I needed that support. <laughs> you know, I needed my coach to say, "Listen, you, you need to relax." <laughs> yes, yes. And and you know what? It doesn't matter. And another thing they need to understand is. It doesn't matter how you feel. When it's time to race, you step on the block, it's you, you and the, the, your lane, that's it. And so oftentimes what we do is by the end of practice, do a get out swim. You know, I purposely wrote, let's say if we're gonna go eight, we wanted to go six 100s. I, wanted, I, I wrote down eight 100s. And so by the, by the, after the fifth one, I said, who wants to do a hero swim or whatever? You know, if everybody goes fast in this one, then we're out. Right, so they go really fast in the last one. And it turned out, it's really just letting them know. I said, I'm right again, because when you want to go fast, you will go fast. And it's just at the end of practice, end of the set, you don't think you're tired? Yeah, okay, so taper or no taper, when you get up, when it's time for you to race, you race. So typically our athletes do actually pretty well throughout the regular season meets as well. Um, it just, again, to me, it's, it's a different mindset. I think our sport's changing, right? We're, we're starting to learn that you can be fast really whenever you want, not two or three times a year. That's right. That's right. My, 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 my pitch to our kids, and I mean, again, it's a sales pitch, right? Um, 
if you are training better and you're stronger and you're smarter and you're, 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 you're swimming in your regular training sessions, you're better. Why can't you swim faster in the regular meets? Why do you need a taper, right? Because you're better, right? You're supposed to get better every day. And so why aren't you getting better, right? You should, you should be able to swim better. And that's, again, if you're willing to, I think it's in their heads. Abby, you, you've had such a unique journey in the sport and your life is so interesting. Um, your background and where you came from and the experiences that you had. You and I talked about how important it is for our sport to continue to work to create more diversity, both within the coaching ranks and within our athlete ranks. What are some things that are important to you that, that you want to share about trying to make our sport more open and available to everybody? Absolutely. Um, it's to me, it's, it's everything to me, uh, who I am, where I'm coming from um, and, and people who I work with and um, our sport is lacking, I would say, lacking of um, diversity in, in every way, whether it's your sexual orientation, it's your skin color, it's your gender, uh, it's your physical ability. Um, I, representation is key, right? Look at me, right? I'm, I'm Asian and I'm female and I'm an immigrant and I'm, I'm married to a woman. And so I, between two of us, we check a lot of boxes and uh, representation is key. Having me out there and like working with our community here, people, it's the, the instant relatability is there. Like say, you know, I share with you uh, where I live, where I work is about 70 to 80% of Asian. So when they see me, they immediately gravitate towards me and they can share a lot of um, stories and a lot of personal experiences with me because they trust, they, they believe that's, that's relatability, right? Um, we have athletes who on the team came out to me, they still haven't came out to their parents yet. And because we provide, they feel that they're safe with me and I provide that support and safe place. It, it's sad because culturally it's, it's difficult, right? Um, and it's still difficult to everybody, to a lot of people. But if we make them feel that they're loved, that they're supported, regardless, um, again, it's, it has, doesn't even have to be swimming related. It's humanity, it's helping others, and it's, it's caring for others. And to me, that's important in our sport. Um, you know, the higher levels we go, um, we see less and less female coaches. That's why I'm so admired Terry McGeever. You know, she, she's she's icon of, of our female coaches, right? Um, and, and Carol at Texas, you know, having these people, these people I look up to, right? And, and we need to elevate and we need to elevate each other and helping each other out. But again, I'm, super, I'm, I'm very, very thankful that you asked this question because you've always been a supporter and, and friend of mine. So I really appreciate that. Just know that, you know, I met many, many amazing people through the pool deck and throughout our sport. And I'm forever grateful. Well, we're forever grateful to know you and your athletes and families are so lucky that they have you as a resource and somebody that they can trust. And I think at the end of the day, right, all coaches, that's a, our ultimate goal is that our athletes have uh, a deep care and respect for their coach because they know that their coach cares and respects them. And uh, I know that the community that, that you work with certainly feels that way. And um, I'm not gonna let you get out of here today without doing some quick fire questions. Go and, for it. I'm excited to, to hear your answers. I usually ask the guests the same questions. 
I might do a sneaker related question specific to you. Sure. Um, but the first thing I want to ask is, do you think that in Tokyo, we'll see that women's 800 freestyle dip below eight minutes for the first Absolutely. time? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. I'm excited. I can't to wait to watch it. <laughs> I know. Uh, and I know Katie will do it. That will be fun to watch. That will be fun to watch. Uh, do you think it will take a sub 21 second performance in the men's 50 freestyle to win that gold medal? Yes. I think it might. It's going to be will. close. If you look at what these guys are doing right now, you know, uh, I think both Caleb and Bruno Fratis were 21 mid mm -hmm. like last week. Yep. It's coming down to, to being really fast. And Who knowing gonna, Greg, knowing Greg, and he's been pounding him hard with a bunch of like 2400s, yeah. right? And this, this is, is so interesting about, you know, when people say sprint sets, there's like, you look at Anthony um, Irvin versus Caleb Dressel, their training style is completely different, right? So if he can go 21 minute, like after who knows, however many 400s that Greg throwing at him, you know, it's absolutely doable. And, and that's why, and I, I'm such a fan and sport, a fan and student uh, uh, for the sport of the sport, um, because the, the sport has evolved so much over the time. And you know, you talk about the Sioux era and post Sioux era. People still getting faster. How, right? COVID. People still getting faster. Why? You know, because that this whole whole principle of you know train, 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 completely different now. Like have different meanings to to people. It's again, it's about what you do, what you do in the pool, how you do it. No doubt about it. I mean, that so true. What athlete who's up and coming in USA Swimming is Abby Lou really excited about? Michael Andrews. Fun he's got, he's got an amazing journey and I've been, I've been following him along and a great kid, great family, um, very humble. So I'm rooting for him. I love it. I love it. I think this might be the big moment for him that a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time. No doubt. Abby, what what shoes are you wearing that are not Nike? Easies. <laughs> All right. I knew it was going to be something like that, but I thought I would ask. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'm I'm torn right now. I don't know what shoes I'm going to bring to the Olympic trials. So you just have to stay tuned. All right, we, we are gonna stay tuned. And uh, Abby, thank you so much for joining us today. I've been wanting to have you on the program for a long time. And um, I'm just so thankful that we have you as a resource in, a, in our sport. How can people get a hold of you if they have questions about the way that you train or some of the similarities between age group and senior swimming, uh, or just wanna reach out and, and make, make a new friend in the coaching world? For sure. I, will, I always love to connect and chat and learn from others. Um, my IG is Abby Swim, A-B-I Swim, and my Facebook's Abby Liu. Uh, you should be able to find me all for there. Fantastic. Abby, we're going to have this uh, episode live tomorrow on our website and on our YouTube channel. Our uh, listeners can also find us on Spotify, and we'll make sure that you get all the links to share on your social platforms. Thanks so much. Thank you.